here, there still seems to be a push-pull about whether or not we truly want to be the city that we say we are, we want to live up to the moniker as the birthplace of the civil rights movement, or do we just want to profit from it? You know, do we just want to market it and sell it for the sole control of those who have controlled business and have controlled interests here uh, for decades? And I'm one who believes that in order to grow, we have to open up our minds, we have to open up the possibilities to really make sure Montgomery and all of Alabama becomes truly who we can, who we have the potential to be, but we still run into this uh, mindset of I like the idea of change, I just don't like the process of going through that change. Alrighty, kids, welcome in. Another fantastic show on Slate for you here today. Uh, this is uh, Alabama Politics This Week. I am Josh Moon, and that is David Person. All right. Hey, uh, you are uh, David broadcasting from outside of our normal uh, broadcast zone uh, here. It's not like we, you know, we don't actually have a studio anymore. We don't. I've actually seen David in person in like two years. Yeah, uh, yeah I've seen him on TV and other places, yeah. but never not actually in person. Uh, but uh, you're you're outside of the state, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm outside of the state for a little bit, but I'll be back. All right. Hey, well, that's um, keep yeah, the light on for me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, maybe shouldn't, maybe shouldn't say that kind of stuff. You know, just basically advertising. Listen, if y'all need anything, go buy David's house and pick it up for free. You know? Well, I'll be back shortly, so don't <laughs> don't try yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I got big dogs at my house, so that's yeah. how that works. Uh, I got but, an uh, alarm. I got an alarm system. Oh well, there you go. Right, so, yeah. so don't go by David's house. You'll go to yeah. jail. Yeah. Um, yeah, the police and, will come and, get you. Know. They'll lock you up. Yeah. Well, all right. So we're going to have uh, Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed on uh, today mm-hmm. to talk about the uh, non-discrimination ordinance that failed in uh, in that city last week and, and what the future of that kind of looks like. And, uh, you know, I told to, to you know, maybe get a few thoughts uh, from him about the, the future of the state party and, and what he kind of sees there. And, um, you know, I, I think that'll be a good discussion. But, you know, I, you, we talked about this, I guess, last year. Um, you know, when we were doing shows and, uh, you know, the COVID, you know, had flared up and uh, it had taken over everything. And, and you want to talk about other stuff, but pretty much everything we we do now in life and every news story is somehow related to COVID, uh, you know, yeah. and to this virus and what's going on. And it's it's hard to to circumvent that you know if even if you're talking about like football season you know most of that is tied up in what the hell's going to happen with with stadiums and stuff and how are they going to handle these things and are you going to have to have a a vaccine card to get into a lot of these places or a negative test and um you know and, and so that it, it's all kind of wrapped up in that and you hate to keep leading with the same story week after week but mm-hmm. i mean you know what one of the one of the biggest things, and and Eddie Burkhalter and I did a story about this in uh, APR this week, and that's um, schools with with COVID and what's going on in our state, and it has been a mess. Um, it really has been an absolute mess, and it has highlighted to me the the lack of leadership um, at the at the top levels. Um, it is, it is kind of highlighted, uh, the lack of communication, uh, because we have superintendents, county superintendents 
um, that are all, you know, listen, if you know a county superintendent of a school system, those guys are mostly, and, and, and ladies, are mostly good, good people, you mm-hmm. know, that are trying to do a good job, that are trying to pay attention, that want to keep their kids safe. Um, and they don't know they don't know what the rules are for a lot of things. Um, You know, and that was one of our big things was that, you know, they had to reissue orders um, from the department of public health because, or reissue guidance uh, from the department of public health because schools weren't following the rules about uh, kids that had come in close contact and whether or not they were supposed to be sent home or whether or not they had to stay at home or they could come back if it was up to their parents. And some some school systems were allowing them to come back and they weren't even contacting the parents and others were forcing them to stay home and sending teachers home. And uh, and it's it has been an, an absolute nightmare for a lot of these systems. And talking to these poor superintendents, it was just like, look, man, we, we, we want to do the right thing. We just don't know what the right thing is. And so what was that little phrase that they were using? Instead of saying we can't quarantine people, they were using some other little phrase, which basically was tantamount to quarantining them. But I guess not quite legally. It wasn't a legal designation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, you remember? they were talking about, you know, leaving them off campus, isolating them off campus. Right. Um, but there was some yeah. way they were uh, it may have been isolation. But there was some there was some way they were phrasing it, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I'm assuming it was a way to circumvent, uh, you know, the fact that they're not supposed to be quarantining. But like you said, I mean, there's this crazy sort of uh, it, it, it just seems like, you know, there, there's not a clear there's not a clear line of accountability. There's not a clear flow of information. So whose fault is that, Josh? Is it based on your reporting, you and Eddie's reporting? Whose fault is it? Is is it the governor's fault? Is it the school board's fault? Is it the Department of Public Health's fault? Whose fault is it? I think it is. um, I think it is the fault of all of the above. Um, I think it is the fault of the governor for not doing what she should do um, to to make it easier for for everybody, uh, you know, uh, that if she had issued a state of emergency here, it would have it would have given some powers to a lot of these uh, a lot of these entities to to act uh, a little more boldly uh, in in ways that they weren't that they currently don't have that authority right now. You know, legally, um, uh, legally they cannot. Uh, quarantine somebody. Uh, that's only the Department of Public Health can do that. So, so they have to. If they have a kid that presents with symptoms, they have to you know re, you know report or they have to get you know make sure the test gets done. They have to report the results of the test to the Department of Public Health. Um, so uh, here here's a good example, and this is one that Mackey talked about in the uh, AARP Q and A that he had uh, last week, and uh, and I mentioned that in the story. It. Let's say a parent get it, it tests positive for COVID, right? And that's reported to the Department of Public Health. And that parent has three kids. Well, a lot of times the Department of Public Health is not passing along to the Department of Education that this parent has tested positive. Now, he said, you know, in some cases there's a reason why. You know, the parent may be, may be a parent, but the kid may not be living with him. Uh, but, you know, in a lot of cases that's not 
what's ha- what's taking place. Uh, they they are they are there, and they don't know any better. Uh, and so, so you see what I'm saying? When I, when I blame everybody, that, that's not trying to give anybody a, a coverage on this thing. It, it's, it's Kay Ivey's fault. Yes. It's Eric Mackey's fault. It's Dr. Harris's fault. It's a lot of people's fault in this for not, for not coming up with a better plan. They, they knew this was going to, this was coming. Well, they should have known this was going to, this was coming. Uh, this, the Delta variant, we, we have, people have been talking about it for months. So certainly Dr. Harris knew about it. Um, so why there wasn't a clear plan and um, some some way to, to handle this, I don't know. But, I mean, we're in a mess because last year at this time, when kids went out of school, you know, when they were sent home for the 10 days, well, they had the virtual options there. Now, right. many of these school systems don't have that. So you're at home for 10 days. Hell, you're just chilling at home. Listen, I would have loved that in school. It would have been great. been a great 10 days. I, hell, I'd be hoping for a close contact with COVID. I'd be finding <laughs> out who had COVID and running up next to him. Uh, you know, but <laughs> you're just over and over. Yep, I was, I, listen, I rode in the car with him. It was me, you know, yeah. every day. Uh, but, you, you know, now, so now they're at home for, for 10 days and doing, you know, whatever. Um, well, well, what happened to the virtual option? That, you know, uh, they didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, you know, so now I will say a lot of school systems have re-implemented virtual options. Uh, you know, there was a, uh, a system in Hatton that did so. Uh, and, you know, we, we did a bunch of bullet points in the story mm-hmm. that we ran. I, mm-hmm. And I would encourage everybody to, to read the story, uh, you know, and it, because it's not an opinion. It's not my opinion about what took place right. or Eddie's opinion about what took place. This is coming from, from superintendents and from the State Department of Education. And, and listen, I... I, like I told uh, Michael Sibley at the State Department of Education, I, I, I know y'all are having a problem with here. I know you've been put in a, in a terrible situation. And I, and I wasn't looking necessarily to cast blame on Eric Mackey or the people who were there. I, I do think Mackey holds some responsibility for everybody not coming together and, and creating some sort of plan from the top down that was spelled out so people could understand exactly what the hell they were supposed to do. Uh, but I also know that getting all those superintendents together and all of their staffs and making sure everybody does the right thing is a hard thing to do, you know, through the state. Um, so, you know, but doesn't it, it seem? But doesn't it seem, Josh, like if? And again, I'm ultimately I I, I believe the buck stops with the governor. Doesn't it mm-hmm. seem like the governor, with it at the very least, would convene a task force or a commission? or some sort of entity where these top level officials and outside experts could begin to pull together data, craft a plan that would include not only, you know, the school systems, but other areas of public life. And that would also include a messaging plan and strategy. Mm -hmm. It just seems to me like there's a lack of, of leadership and cohesive thinking about what we ought to be doing when we have a state mm-hmm. where we literally have no ICU beds. Yeah. So if, if you have a stroke or I have a heart attack or somebody else, something happens to them, you know, we're in a, we got a serious problem in terms of the ability, our ability to receive care. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing radiates out and it affects not just the, the people who are infected with COVID, and those who have to deal with them, their family members, their loved ones, it not only affects the the the, the myriad healthcare workers mm-hmm. who are stressing out apparently, who are overworked, 
But now we're talking about literally uh, systems that are going to not be able to do what they were designed to do to provide the help they need to other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a crisis of gargantuan of a gargantuan magnitude, and yep. nobody seems to care in I mean, terms of seeing it as a as the imminent threat to our health and well being. Yeah, it's it's a you know. Uh, and I, I struggle a lot of times to to kind of define it because I think uh, it it does seem like in a lot of ways that people don't care. Uh, but but even worse to me is that it seems like for a lot of people, and I think Governor Kay Ivey is one of them. Uh, but and, and especially in Republican circles, what has taken uh, uh, what is weighing heavily more heavily on them than this virus and the havoc that it's wreaking is the idea that there is a political gain to be had from not doing anything about this, Um, you know, from, from resisting mask mandates to resisting, you know, school closures or school, you know, virtual schools, or, you know, there's some, there's some gain from, from doing nothing, you know, and, and it, it, I assume the polling has, has played out that way, but you know, you're right every day, you know, the, the, the car accidents, uh, the heart attacks, the, you know, the accidental poisonings and fa- slips and falls and everything yep. else. No, yep. None of that has gone away. And we still need ICU beds and doctors and nurses to handle all these people. Uh, and we don't have them uh, right now. And, and it, you're right. And let me tell you how bad it is in the, in the school uh, system. Th- this is legitimately true. If, if I'm running the school system, I have an option as to whether I partner with the Alabama Department of Public Health and do contact tracing. So if I am at, at I'm a principal at a school and a kid comes in and says, I had some symptoms, I took a COVID test, I've tested positive, I was I rode to school with these five people today, uh, I was in the class with these 15 people, um, and you know, here I am. If you have partnered with them with ADPH, then you report all that to them and they Everybody has to be quarantined. They go, you know, they got to stay away from the campus for a period of time, um, and they can't do that. If you elect not to do that, you don't have to do anything. And that's what many superintendents, many county superintendents, have done: is they've elected not to do, not to do anything. Some have split it, like I said in the story. Some have split the baby a little bit and said, "Well, what we're going to do is we're not partnering with them. We're not doing all this contact tracing. But what we will do." is if we know some kids have been in contact with somebody, we'll call their parents, let their notify the parents, let them know that their child has been in close contact with a COVID positive student and they can decide what they want to do. But that, that is one of the most, I mean, you know what I'm saying? If you're a parent working a a, a damn job, man, you know, I I know you don't, and your kid is fine. You know, your kid's not presenting any symptoms or anything else. And you know, that's, it's a terrible attitude. I'm not excusing it in any way. Right. But, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? You think they're going to give up a day of work for that? I, I also think that it's profoundly troubling that we have, we have, we've now set up a scenario where principals are not going to inform parents about, in some cases, are not going to inform parents Mm-hmm. about the fact that their child has potentially been exposed to COVID or, in fact, has been exposed to COVID. Mm-hmm. When we know that this is killing 
this is beginning to kill children. It's beginning yeah. to, children yes. are beginning to uh, comprise a, 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 a significant, I'm not saying a majority by any stretch, right. but a measurable, significant percentage of those who are now being hospitalized, mm-hmm. from what I understand from my reading. So we've got, again, we, we, and, and, and as you and I talked about earlier before we started the, the podcast, you know, th- there's a group of children out there, you know, uh, you know, probably zero to, what, five or six, something like that, who are not going to be wearing masks in all likelihood mm-hmm. if yeah. they're in daycare, you know, if they're in a daycare setting. Mm-hmm. So... My God, I mean, what's going to happen to them? Yeah, I, you know, we, I, my, my daughter's home right now. You know, she had a little illness last week. It was not COVID, um, you know, but um, we, we kept her home because her, you know, her immune system is weakened from, from not, not only the sickness, but also the, you know, the treatment for the, for the little uh, cold she had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, but, and I, you know, honestly, it's kind of a, a weight off your mind a little bit that I'm not worried about her being there at the school and something. And listen, I, I know the stats. Okay. I do. I know this. I know the statistics that, um, you know, if I, if I waited it all out and this is, this is the only thing that lets me, lets me sleep a little bit is that if you wait it all out, uh, she is less likely to be seriously ill from this than she is from the flu. Um, uh, you know, at, at her age, uh, she's, you know, the, she's probably more likely to be injured in the car on the way to school than she would be from this thing long-term. Um, and, and so, you know, those things, you know, you, you wait them out. I know that that's not the greatest comfort uh, in the world, but at least, you know, I think to myself, well, I live with that every day and those are daily risks that we take. So I'm going to have to put this in that compartment of that and, and move along because, you know, uh, it, it, it's, I, I think it's worse for her to, to stay here and not be around, you know, her, the the little people at school and the teachers, right. and you know, have that interaction and stuff. Because I mean, I think she grows a lot from that. Um, right. and, and it's just, you know, I, I think the other big issue, man, is everybody is short staffed at these schools now, mm. and you know that at some schools, some teachers have come in close contact with COVID sure. positive students. And they're not reporting it. And those teachers are going back. And the reason that they're doing it is because they, they, they don't have emergency leave for, this, for the teachers. So uh, if teachers are being sent home now, they're having to use their personal leave for this. And that's, it, that's the most egregious shit I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Why, why are we not carving out something? All that money we got. Where the hell is all that money? Yeah, where is it? Yeah, you know, where the hell is all that me? money? What are you doing? I'm going to find out what, where prisons. it's gone. Yeah, yeah, probably so. But we had specific money for schools, yeah, and school yeah. And, and school safety measures. Where the hell is all that money? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm gonna find out where the, all that money went. We're, we're yeah. gonna, we're gonna figure that out. We're gonna track it from uh, when they got there to where it went and and whose pocket it landed in, uh, if anybody's. Uh, but you know, I, that's that to me is I, I, I just man, you know what mm-hmm. what are we doing here? You know, and I, well, what, what we're doing is we're playing Russian roulette with our population. That's what we're doing, yeah. you know, and, and we are we are watching the systematic, literally, I would argue the systematic destruction of our population, the way this thing is being managed. You know, we're, we're setting ourselves up for thousands of deaths 
for people who are going to have thousands more who are probably going to have lingering illnesses as a result. And and we have politicians that are twiddling their thumbs, you know. Uh, and, and you know what? I got to say one other thing real quickly on this before we, because I know we're going to have to take a break here soon. Um, Trump got booed in Coleman. Yeah. When he, he got booed in Coleman yep. when he started talking about the vaccine mm. and, and, and the fact that even he had gotten vaccinated. And, I, and you've had to, re, you know, when you think about that, you realize, okay, now the politicians are at fault for not leading. Mm-hmm. But there's a contingent of people out there that are just really, I'm talking about in the general populace, in the voting populace. That are really just, I don't know if the word is deranged or deluded, mm-hmm. but the fact that they would boo the president, the former president, their boy, yeah, their boy, you know, not Biden, but their boy, simply for saying, get vaccinated. That's yeah, well, insane. He didn't even, you know, I, I did he even say he said something about, you know, you, you should. Oh, yeah, he did. He said you should take the vaccine. I took it. I took the vaccine. Yeah. I took the vaccine. Yeah. You know, listen, if if uh, if it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know. I mean, which right. was the weirdest yeah. thing I've ever heard anybody say about the vaccine. You know, <laughs> if, if you don't take it, you'll be the first to know. You know, or if it doesn't work, uh, but yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, it's listen. They poisoned the well. You know, they poisoned the well on this, and um, and they did it. You know, there there was a misinformation campaign uh, that was out there, and I think it was probably a, a foreign-led misinformation campaign about this uh, to undercut the efforts here and to, and to sow the confusion and to cause chaos in, in our country. And, and I think some people um, were susceptible to that, the same people that were susceptible to an orange con man telling them for years that he understood that, you know, their, their working man plight, uh, even though he was a billionaire from New York City. Um, alleged was, billionaire. Yeah, alleged billionaire from New York City that was robbing everybody blind. Um, right. and, and so, you know, those same people were susceptible to this misinformation and they have fallen for it. And there is nothing, there's nothing you can do now for a lot of these people because they are bought in and, and it would, it doesn't matter what happens. They, they're not going to, they're not going to change their mind and they're, they're going to, they're going to go to the mat with this. Um, and those are those people that were booing him and, um, you know, and it's their fault. It's their, they had every opportunity to do exactly, and God, I can't believe I'm saying this. They had every opportunity to do exactly what Tommy Tuberville is doing. Mm-hmm. Every opportunity mm-hmm. to, to maintain the idiocy that, that he normally lives with every day, but to tell people, listen, this is good. It, you're wrong about what you're saying. Here's here's doctors. Here's people. I've taken it. My family's taken it. We're fine. This is this is something that's going to help you and save you. They could have all done that, but they chose not to do it. They chose to play games with this. They chose to uh, you know share that misinformation. Uh, they t- chose to talk about hydroxychloroquine and all the other you know horse dewormer More bullshit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know that's what they did. And so there, there are consequences to playing with that level of fire. And this is the fire that they've spread. And, mm. you know, I, I would bet in five or so years or so, there'll, there'll be some stories written about the, the decline of, of conservative voters. And you trace it back to the deaths that have occurred out of this right here, because there's mm. going to be some people die from that thing in Coleman. Um, and, you know, and there'll be, there'll be stories about people laying on their deathbed saying they should have taken the vaccine. And, you know, yeah. 
Uh, because there already have been, so we know that. Yep, You're right. Yep, you don't and, even have to be a prophet to say that. Uh, listen, man, the lady whose who's property that thing was on mm-hmm. is a nurse at the Kilman Hospital where they are out of ICU beds and mm. the damn city has declared a state of emergency because they are so overrun with COVID and they don't have mm. the resources or the funds and they were begging the federal government for help. And the lady working as one of the nurses at the hospital held this big ass rally at her mm. property with a bunch of unmasked people coming out there to, to do this. What in that's, the world? Wow. That's, that's you know, wow. wow. So what wow, else are you wow. going to do, man? You know, I mean, mm. uh, uh, and you know, and you, you talk about this with people and they act like you're happy that they, they're, they're getting the vaccine. I'm not. I've been trying to save your life this whole time. Just take the damn thing, man. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to die or be sick. That's, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but this is the, this is the state, you know, in the world, apparently, or in the country that we're, we're in now. And so, well, well, maybe, maybe there's some hope on the horizon that I'm unaware of, but. Man, uh, well, yeah. we sure need some hope. <laughs> Yeah, we need it badly. Uh, all right, let's slide out of here. Come back in in just a minute and uh, and get Mayor uh, Reed on and, uh, and and talk about non discrimination and uh, you know or the continued discrimination. Hmm. All right, this is all down politics. This week. back in. Hey, everybody. If you wouldn't mind, uh, go over to Alpha Podcast and leave us a nice rating and review. Or maybe not even a nice one. Just a rating and a review. Uh, just let us know what you think about the podcast. And uh, We've gotten to where we read some of these reviews on the air because some of them are uh, pretty funny and clever. So be funny and clever and we'll get your uh, review read on the air. And uh, The rating helps us out a little bit as well. So if you don't mind, leave us a nice rating and a review or a terrible rating and a review. Whatever you like. However you feel about the podcast, we appreciate your, your input. And uh, thanks for listening as always. Alrighty, welcome back, Alabama Politics this week, and uh, we are happy now to welcome back in with us because we've had him on before. Uh, the mayor of Montgomery, Stephen Reed. Uh, uh, you know, let's, I, I, it's one of my great regrets of of not being not still living in the city of Montgomery while Stephen Reed is the mayor because I think we uh, we we could do a lot of damage there. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> or I mean, some people call it damage. I would call it a lot of good. We could do a lot of good there. A lot, a lot of good trouble, as the late John Lewis would say. Good trouble. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Mayor. Thank you for for coming on and uh, and, and spending a few minutes with us. Thank you for having me. Hey, all right. So the the topic is, I guess, not a pleasant one uh, because it is about the the failure of the uh, the non discrimination ordinance uh, with the city council. What I guess, in your words, what what did the the ordinance do, and and why did it fail? Well, you know, first I I, I thank you for the for the audience and, and the opportunity to discuss something I think that's very important. Um, you know, what the ordinance would have done um, is it would have provided a provision for the city of Montgomery uh, to prevent and protect those from harmful discrimination based on race, color, uh, religion, uh, faith, you know, sexual orientation, um, gender identity, age, disability, go down the list. So it was a very broad uh, non-discrimination ordinance. And what we wanted to do was to send the message that, you know, Montgomery is a city that uh, certainly values diversity and inclusion and is a city that is looking to turn in the page on a painful past. And, you know, what we thought that this ordinance would do, like other cities um, had done, is that, you know, it would outlaw discrimination 
uh, in public places of accommodation, housing, and employment. And it would also make you know, our city practices more inclusive for the type of community that we're trying to build. So you know, we still have work to do when it comes to ensuring that all of our citizens uh, are afforded their legal rights. And I just thought it was really a, a no-brainer to um, pass a, a non-discrimination ordinance. And obviously, I was wrong about that. What, what was the, well, because all that sounds perfectly reasonable to, I got to think that to pretty much every thinking person out there, what was the pushback to that? You know, I think the pushback initially was that, well, federal guidelines already cover all this. Um, but, you know, the city had no such provision um, to prevent, you know, protection from harmful uh, discrimination. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I think also was an issue was that when we first discussed this back in June, it was during Pride Month, and the LGBTQ uh, plus community was included in that. And I think that many of the members of the council zeroed in as that and conflated it with uh, a much different topic surrounding uh, the use of public uh, facilities such as bathrooms. Totally different, not any way uh, connected, but that became the talking point and the sole reason for you know being against it from the very outset. And as we tried to uh, find common ground, you know, we really changed and revised this ordinance uh, tremendously to clear all of that up. And then it came down to, some would say, uh, the word perceived. Now, I've never seen any of our ordinances read as closely as tightly as this one, given the <laughs> amount of ordinances that, that we passed it, but, but everybody became a constitutional law expert uh, <laughs> when it came to, you know, perceived. Mm -hmm. And we explained what that was. Uh, we explained that the difference in uh, how one perceives themselves and how others perceive them and why that was needed. Uh, in the final version, but ultimately, I, I just think, Josh, that you know there were those on the council uh, who had their minds made up from uh, the word go, and that's just where they still, which I think is out of step with the general populace of our city, with the general um, leadership of our city, both private sector as well as military. Well, they just didn't have enough time. They just didn't have enough time to review it. You know? yeah, no, just no, wasn't enough time. No, two, two, two months was not enough time uh, to go through this, this um, you know, three or four page ordinance, which I read in, in full at, at the council meeting. That, that was clearly not enough time. But another two months, I'm sure, would have given them more time to ask for another two months after that. There you go. There you go. So isn't it funny, Mayor, how the how it seems like these issues, when it comes to uh, historically disenfranchised groups being given equal opportunities and equal rights, doesn't it seem strange how uh, there seems to be a line of thinking in this country that often comes down to, dare I say it, sex? So if you think about it, with black men, historically, there's always been uh, this, uh, this false narrative that uh, one of the reasons we have to try to control, you know, black men and the black population is because if black men are given freedoms, you know, they're going to come after our white women. <laughs> they're going to come after them, you know. Yes. And of course, the irony was, uh, Mayor, as you know, and I know you're a student of history, 
that while this was being said, rape was being used as a terroristic tool by white men against black women. Now, this was during the Jim Crow era I'm talking about. So now here we fast forward to today. And what what does it come down to again? Sex, supposedly, allegedly. There are going to be men who are going to dress up as women so they can go into women's bathrooms. Really? So dumb. You know, that, that argument was, was, was disgraceful to me, in particular coming from a former city councilman. Um, and that probably explains why he's former and not current. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was really ridiculous to, to bring that up. But you're exactly right. As, as if there aren't heterosexual sex offenders, right? As if there aren't people who are, are doing things, whether it be in hotel rooms or, or bathrooms, uh, that are not uh, of, of the... LGBTQ plus community. And, and, and that to me is, is very short-sighted, it's very small-minded. Uh, and, and it shows the type of lack of, of vision that people think about Alabama. They think about Montgomery and not being able to grasp uh, you know, the, the importance of that and distinguish between uh, these issues. And the fact that you know, it came down uh, or, or a point was made around just bathrooms uh, is, is very, very problematic. We don't have to look any further than our churches. We don't have to look any further than civic organizations. We don't have to look any further than the, the businesses in which uh, many of us work in to understand the levels of harassment that, that come there, uh, all types of, right? So that to me was just a, you know, a, a baseline bigoted, you know, comment. And it was something that uh, again, I, I thought was was disgraceful to use that as any way, shape, form, or fashion as rationale for being against this. And, and I think it speaks to uh, the lack of progress, the lack of awareness, the lack of exposure that so many people have. And that is one of the things that continues to hold not only uh, our state back, but, but certainly this this city. And what I've shared is that, you know, when when you want to grow, you want to attract and retain and recruit the best and brightest. Um, no, no one cares about uh, Tim Cook's uh, sexual identity uh, as the CEO of Apple. Uh, Auburn University is in discussions, I think, to rename their business school after they, they would be well to do that. Uh, no one cares about a uh, Rose Scholar, who, who ran for president, just happens to be the Secretary of Transportation by the name of Pete Buttigieg, just happens to be in that. We could go down a list of, of many others. And I bring that up because for some reason here, there still seems to be a push-pull about whether or not we truly want to be the city that we say we are, we want to live up to the moniker as the birthplace of the civil rights movement, or do we just want to profit from it? You know, do we just want to market it and sell it for the sole control of those who have controlled business and have controlled interests here uh, for decades? And I'm one who believes that in order to grow, we have to open up our minds. We have to open up the possibilities to really make sure Montgomery and all of Alabama becomes truly who we can, who we have the potential to be. But we still run into this. mindset of I like the idea of change. I just don't like the process of going through that change. Yeah. I think that's a great point you made too about the uh you know the 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 tendency perhaps with some to just 
have a superficial sort of connection to change and and social justice, you know, just something that's almost just about making it a commodity as opposed to, you know, a, a moral reality. Uh, so let me ask you, what do you, I know that you somewhat, I think facetiously, I think, <laughs> said that you were going to give give businesses uh, Randall Whitman's number, cell number. <laughs> uh, but in, in all, I mean, deeply seriously here, what, what do you expect the impact to be on the city of Montgomery? Well, listen, you... the, the, the good thing about those who were offended by that, that statement is that I think most businesses won't call me to ask. Right. Uh, okay. and, and I think most of them probably won't take my phone call if I were to call them. Okay. So I think that in reality, they don't have to worry about that because any uh, legitimate entity is going to do their own homework. And so, you know, when, when it comes down to the mayors and mayors in the South and we get down to Alabama, we get down here to some of these folks that, that we think um, may be good places to partner and invest. You know, when that pops to the top of your, your, your search uh, and someone puts that in the uh, dossier or that, that site selector or that uh, director of economic development, you know, we're probably going to be crossed off the list just on that alone. Uh, and that, that's, the, the, that's the shame in this, um, where that is concerned. But if someone, you know, does call and, you know, ask me an honest question uh, regarding diversity and inclusion, I will share with them exactly what I think. And, you know, I would share that no different than I would share any facts or data that I may have around crime and public safety, around our public education system, around our workforce. Those are things that happen in the course of conversations when you're trying to build relationships and establish a level of, of first-time investment and partnerships. You know, that said, if, if you know, that, conversation happens and I share that information, at least if I give him Randall Woodford's number, I'm at least keeping it in the state. So <laughs> it's, not going, it's not going to Durham, North Carolina. It's not yeah. going to Nashville or to, or to Plano, uh, Texas. So uh, at least, you know, Team Alabama may have a chance, even if unfortunately uh, our group here in Montgomery uh, refuses to take off the blinders and refuses to uh, adapt to the change that is really needed and really has been long overdue. And if I could just say this real quick, I'd love to say that I'm a visionary and I was charting new territory here. This isn't new. I mean, this isn't anything that cities across the, the country haven't done. And that was where the conversation first started back in June. So, you know, you, you look at Birmingham um, passing this four years ago, 2017. Uh, you think about, you know, Mobile, offering a voice voter support uh, for it. It, it. It's really not a, a, a novel idea. And, and it's just one of those where you say, how did you miss this layup? How did you blow this and turn into a, a blooper reel that now um, you know, could cost the city not only potential uh, money in forms of tourism, but also long-term jobs and economic development if something isn't changed. Can we underscore? I, I, and that was really where I was going with my question. Uh, do you do you think you can actually quantify the damage that will be done to Montgomery by not passing having this ordinance passed? Well, the Chamber of Commerce will release a statement. That's a great question. Um, you know, kind of comparing it to the 
uh, loss that uh, some of the cities in North Carolina suffered after their state legislatures passed um, leg pass bills that, that were around subjects such as this. It was into the hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, we're, we're not an NCAA tournament site. We don't have, you know, pro football and, 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 and basketball. But certainly, I, I think it would be fair to say, you know, potentially tens of millions of dollars. And if you consider us losing one project, right, if someone takes us off the list, um, then you do get into the prospect of it being hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of, you know, uh, several years. And, and I, and I want to share this with your audience. You know, um, right now, and the council's aware of this, we were a finalist for a, um, an entity which as 20% of the site that they were select, diversity and inclusion is a part of that. This is something that would bring hundreds of jobs to the city of Montgomery. And it is an international company. And we were in that last group. Now, I don't know uh, where we stand right now, but I, I just got to say that it's probably not as, I don't feel as good about it, you know, this uh, Wednesdays, I would have felt about it, you know, last Monday. Uh, so the, the impact here can be very significant when you're competing with peer cities for talent, recruitment, and retainment, like all of us are, and corporate investment to build out not only, you know, the city of Montgomery, but all of central Alabama and ultimately impact the bottom line here in the state. You know, I, I got to say, you're listening to the, the excuses about the bathroom thing. The one thing that always strikes me about that, that, that ridiculous argument is, uh, you know, apparently people seem to think that there is currently a security guard stationed at women's public restrooms out there exactly, doing penis right. checks or something, you know, making sure that nobody's coming in. Uh, I, I don't know what the hell they think is happening currently, but, you know, it's, uh, but the, uh, is it, all right, so the vote was five to four. Uh, I would say that uh, the Graham vote was a little bit surprising, Audrey Graham. Um, and. Um, do, do you think this could go the way of the mask ordinance uh, did last year and, and maybe this gets called back up pretty, pretty quickly? I think there's that possibility. You know, I think that um, obviously, you know, my voice uh, was not persuasive enough over, you know, two and a half months. It may take the voice of others. It may take the pressure uh, from others as well to, you know, really connect the dots for some people, right? And to really take the politics out of whatever some may envision as my political position on a matter versus quote unquote theirs. And to see this as what's in the best interest of our city and what's in the best interest of us uh, as a community. And what I've shared is that I'm open to um, other people kind of helping out where that's concerned. Don't, don't mind that at all. And there may be other uh, voices that, that can be more uh, influential uh, on this. And, you know, for me, I, I thought it was very important, you know, that we just not, you know, be caught up in the, um, the surface level things, right? So the easy thing would have been to delay, 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 delay. But again, you know, as DP said, you know, kind of being a, a student of history, I also know that at a previous time in Montgomery's lifespan as a city, that was a tactic used with civil rights advancement too. So I, I, I 
don't want to put myself anywhere near the same position as those that use that uh, stall tactic decades ago as it relates to integration, you know, and court cases and things that all the tactics that were used here to stop that um, for us not to address again what I consider to be a very light lift um, for a community that's trying to reposition itself. And so it, it can't be that we market something. It can't be that the mayor is expected to sell something to uh, corporations and business leaders and philanthropic organizations across the country who are fascinated by Montgomery having its first black mayor, but not really having the substance behind it. That just doesn't sit with me and, and, and I'm always gonna shoot straight. So I, I think, Josh, to kind of sum up your, your question, I think it's possible it could go the way of the mass mandate and be brought back up. I think the council, those that voted for it, and, and, and I'm certainly glad that four of our um, council members did, may be able to, to help uh, that with their peers. And then I think it's also important that it, it not just be, you know, a 5-4 vote, you know, Again, this has to be something that's viewed in the macro of the community's ability to compete with other cities, the community's ability to respect its current residents and to attract new ones, and to this community's ability to also be partners with our U.S. military. And I think, again, we use that military piece when, when it fits us, but when it doesn't, you know, we, we leave that out. And when you're the, when you're the home of Maxwell Air Force Base and, and Gunner uh, Annex, that there's a significant amount of partnership and collaboration that is needed. And we also have to make sure that uh, that's a part of this. And we've gotta be able to respect differences, but we've gotta be able to think as the leaders that we are, even above one's own self. Yeah, yeah I perfectly stated. But before we before we let you get out of here and away from us, I, I wanted to, to shift gears just a little bit um, and and talk about because without your knowledge the other day, I, uh, I kind of tossed you into the uh, U.S. Senate race. Oh, wait, I didn't hear about that. <laughs> and, uh, and they go, we, we, we were just we were just talking. We were just talking about uh, David and I were just discussing who people we would like to see run for higher office uh, in the state, U.S. Senate or governor. Uh, and I mentioned Randall Woodfin and I mentioned you. And I said, actually, that you would be my choice uh, for for one of those higher spots because um, and this is what I really wanted to get your thoughts on. You are what I feel like, and this is totally my opinion, I feel like is the future of the Democratic Party, which is a strong, unapologetic voice for progressive policies and attitudes. Um, I, I like the way that you take people on. I like the way that you don't apologize for what you believe and what we believe. And I, to me, the state party has for too long apologized for being Democrats. Um, and I think the only way that we are ever going to move this thing to a competitive level in the statewide races um, is to to say, listen, here's our policies. We're not ashamed of them. This stuff is going to help you. Uh, you. You're being killed by these other things. So first of all, I guess I'd like your thoughts on being put into the race you know, by me. And then and then second of all, you know, just what, what you feel like the, the future of the party is. 
Well, first, um, look, if, if I can if I can take you with me as, as a promoter, uh, then I, then I, I, I'll do that. Lou DeMello ain't got, ain't got nothing on you, so I'll I tell Lou that. Uh, so I, I didn't know that, but I, I, will, I will certainly, you know, take the uh, – Take the compliment. It's better to be thought of in, in that context than not. So I, I certainly appreciate that. And, you know, I, I used to say I would never run for any political office. And, and mm -hmm. I share this with younger groups, you know, of people that I'm talking to. I said, if you had asked me 15 years ago, even after I came back here once, I said I was never moving back home. So that's <laughs> my parents can tell you that brother and sister and even wife can, can, can say that. Uh, so then it was well, I ain't never running. You know, mm -hmm. I, I believe in, in the business side of this, and this is where the next chapter is, only to, you know, kind of be, be pulled in through frustration and inspiration, um, you know, to, to run. And so I, I stopped saying never. I'll be the first to say that. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with, with um, now Senator Raphael Warnock, who did our interface service uh, before my inauguration. And this is, you know, a year, uh, this is 2019, and you know we're, we're back in, in the church uh, uh, vestibule, and uh, I said, "Hey, Rev, I, I, I hear you're you're considering, you know, running for United States Senate." And he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know, I've been doing all this work around the state, you know, felons voting rights, doing all this stuff, and you know, Stacy and I have been going around Georgia." He said, "You know, people are just saying, you know, we we kind of need some new voices. You know, we don't want the." the legacy politician, if you will, right? The one who's next in line. And he said, but I just don't know. I've never run for office. I don't know how this works. I said, look, I said, you're a pastor. I said, you pastor a Baptist, a black Baptist church. You know people better than we do. Yeah, you can keep all the folks in the pews, you know, on, on mm -hmm. one uh, chord. Then that in and of itself so shows some skills to be able to manage, you know, competing voices and ideas because the same Bible, but everybody has a different interpretation. <laughs> right. Everybody has a different opinion on that. And he said, well, you know, what, what do you think? I said, look, I said, now, I, when, I'm tell, when I'm telling you something, I will commit myself to it as well. I said, I think you should run. I said, because if you don't, one, you'll regret it if it doesn't go the, the way you want it to go. And two, you know, you'll always wonder what, what may have been. I said, three, I do think we're at a different paradigm now in terms of who people look to for leadership and inspiration is not always that person who's been in government quote unquote the longest uh i said it comes in in different forms whether you know you're an ayana presley or whether you're um you know somebody that's running in, in another uh type of race i said it, it comes in different forms when i look at other mayors particularly a lot of the black mayors in the south these guys are in their 30s you know, and I kind of remind, you know, people of that as well. Randall just turned 40, but you look at LeVar Stone and you look at uh, Adrian Perkins over in Shreveport and you look at Chokwe Lumumba and Jackson and Frank Scott, these guys are in their 30s, man. And so, you know, when I'm talking to them, I'm listening and learning, you know, a lot. And and, and, and I kind of feel like the, the the older cousin or brother or whatever, <laughs> like, man, all right, so y'all only date back here. I, I go back to the 90s a little bit. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of funny in, in that realm. And so I think when I consider my own space, you know, certainly there are things that we want to do here. And there are ways that I think we're always looking to make an impact. And as you think of a statewide race, and, and I've been asked this question um, in various circles probably 
I don't know, over, over the last year, you know, you do think about kind of who we have right now in some of these positions. Mm -hmm. And you got to say, say man, I can do better than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's fair to say that I, I, I can I can be more effective uh, in in this area, if not, you know, another <laughs> one. I think the question comes down to, and this is a question that you know at some point uh, we may have to answer: is are the people of Alabama open to that? Are the people of Alabama open to? A Randall Woodfin or the people of Alabama open to others, uh, maybe the legislature or business, private sector, um, to this philosophy, you know, and the thing that we saw with, with Doug Jones was, man, you know, you know, Senator Jones had a had a track record, had a, a record of service and had a uh, a posture that that certainly was progressive, but it, it wasn't socialist. It wasn't left wing at all, right? And to see him not even really given a a fair hearing, you know, by the people of Alabama, was was very interesting. So I I, I guess I'm, I'm giving you a long answer, uh, not not intentionally, but to say I, I don't say never uh, anymore. And I think that for me, there are certain things that I certainly want to do here in Montgomery and I want to achieve. And as we kind of meet those or hopefully exceed those goals and objectives, then you, you look and say, well, hey, I, I want to leave before people want me to leave. You know, I want to be pushed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you say, well, where else can I serve or how else can I serve? And if mm -hmm. I can say this last piece, and I'll be much short on, on your second part of the question about the party, and this goes back to the, the days of um, my father being vice chair of the party. I mean, mm -hmm. people, you know, we're a reality show. It would have been a great dang gone reality show. I can promise you that. Because there was a whole lot of intergenerational disagreements uh, mm -hmm. about, you know, the party and, and, and how you move forward there. And I think our party, much like... Um, the state party of Florida, who is just in disarray. And I've had this conversation uh, with uh, very influential supporters there. And until recently, even Georgia in disarray and others, it's, it's an old model that has not adapted to where people are and to the current forms of communicating, persuading, and organizing and year-round advocacy. And what I have shared uh, in those other conversations, not, not to talk to our leaders of the Democratic Party here, but what I share is that, you know, the party like the church has to have a message that people feel is relevant. If not, they leave, they don't participate. People vote, people vote with their voices and with their feet in their pocketbooks when it comes to church. The same thing happens with the party. And I don't think our party has done a good job of that. And I think the party structure uh, overall nationally in my conversations with party leaders uh, across the country has struggled with that. And so we're not by ourselves, but I certainly think that we have to adapt and we have to also make sure that we're building those alliances with people that want to see more progressive ideas in the South, uh, that want to see more candidates with a Bible, uh, chance to win, like a Georgia, uh, whether it's a Chris Jones in Arkansas and others. And we have to make sure that party apparatus is the one that's invested in by progressives 
and not just what I call celebrity political races. Uh, the celebrity political races sometimes distract and suck up all the funding, but the real work for party building is done day in and day out at the local level, at the community level. And that's how you start to change uh, the paradigm. And that's what we've got to do here in Alabama. So was that a was that a yes yeah, I might do it at some point yeah. or is yeah, he's that running a, he's definitely running he's running no doubt is that what that is <laughs> is that a rhetorical question no <laughs> not at all <laughs> hey listen hey, listen I'm, he's just giving me a job you leave my man alone right? yeah, so, I, I want to know what what I mean what, I, I I never I, I stopped saying never I, okay. I, I realize that okay. that doesn't um, that doesn't adhere to me so. Okay. Uh, okay. But, you know, right right now, there, there's a lot to do right here in Montgomery. And, and the reason why we're talking today shows just how much more uh, there is to do here um, than maybe even I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for the record, you know, uh, uh, Josh has been a big champion of, of yours. I also indicated to Josh that even though I'm a Will Boyd guy, I've been, and that's your frat brother, so that's right. I know you know Will well. Yeah. well. Uh, I've been backing Will uh, consistently over the past few years. I think he has a lot to offer this state. Um, but I had to concede to Josh that if it's not going to be Will, then I would sure love for it to be you. You know, so, well, look, so whatever that's worth. I appreciate that. And I got to tell you a funny Will Boy story that, that I hope uh, Mayor Walt Madison might be sharing. <laughs> he said that he would, he crisscrossed his entire state and he wasn't sure if Will Boy went to more than about four or five places and they both got about the same amount of votes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do that uh, uh, should the calling come, but you know, that, that's, that's the interesting part. And, and Walt worked, worked his heart out uh, yeah. in that gubernatorial race. And I'm sure Will did too. He did. It's one he of those did. you know, uh, paradigms that we're in right now as, as a state. And uh, you know, I, I'm hopeful you know, that we can get the message across of what we stand for. Now, we have to break through the national political machine, right, and the national uh, political divide that exists on both sides, but that, you know, we can't talk about Alabama. We can talk about from Clanton to Atmore while we're suffering uh, in South Central Alabama and what the challenges are here and how policies make a difference. And one of the things that I shared with a, a group there recently at the Aspen Institute was I said, you know, Democrats have to, and progressives have to get out of the, the conversation of talking in white paper theory. I said, you have to talk bread and butter, you know, kitchen table politics, and we've got to get back to that. And until we can kind of condense that to three to five points, as people like to say, that we can ask them to take away, then we're going to have our challenge because the, the tendency is to focus on what divides us. The tendency is to focus on those cultural arguments as opposed to those um, economic arguments and those things that are really going to move us forward, whether it's the expansion of of Medicaid uh, or whether it's other issues that, that we've got to address, funding public education and things like that. Um, that's what we've got to get back to and be able to kind of get that out to the communities and share with even reluctant people, uh, audiences, why they should consider a Democratic candidate, why they should consider 
our approach to improving their lives as opposed to what they're currently getting. Yeah, I don't, uh, you can't argue with any of that. Um, and it's, it's 100% true. And listen, I, I know we've kept you longer than we, we said we were going well, I to. I talked longer uh, than you probably expected, so I apologize. Well, no, no, man, listen, we, we hang around here all day. We don't do anything. This is all we do. So, uh, yeah, listen, we're, we're fine. Uh, but uh, I know you've got other things to do, and, and we appreciate you taking the time, and, yes. and hopefully that thing will get passed. And, you know, just let me know about the, the job, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, get you, we'll get you pushed out. Uh-oh. Here we go. I, 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 will, I will do that. And look, I, I appreciate, you know, what, what you guys do um, and, you know, giving uh, a voice to some of these topics that, that otherwise wouldn't be out there. It is important for people to hear sometimes to know how the sausage uh, gets made. And I don't mind coming back on at any time. Uh, should there be a, a topic or issue you guys want to discuss, whether it's related to Montgomery, hopefully not, or if it's just kind of in general, uh, that, that we can talk about some things. So I'm always good to talk shop. Sure. Thanks, hey, we, we do appreciate that. And we'll yeah. definitely get you back on. That is Mayor Stephen Reed, Mayor of Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, he is uh, uh, he's good. Uh, and, yeah. and probably, you know, the future senator. Uh, so we'll. Uh, <laughs> uh, Josh is hoping so. I love DC this time of year. Um, all right. We're going to slide out and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back in just a minute to wrap this thing up. It's Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? So shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty, welcome back in. That was uh, a lot of fun uh, with the... Uh, Stephen Reed, uh, he, uh, he's a got a job, huh? Guy. You got a job, huh? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been looking for another one. I've, 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 I need a fourth, I guess. Uh, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, I, I would uh, I, listen. You know, I think Stephen's great. I think he yeah. and, and Woodfin and some other folks around the state are exactly what we need to uh, to move the the party forward. And uh, you know, I, I I I think he I would run him and Randall for for anything. Uh, you know, right now, and I'd run him multiple times. He's a he's a real thoughtful guy. I think. He is real real smart, real thoughtful, mm-hmm. great communicator, and uh, I think he does have a little bit of his uh, his uh, father's uh, dogged determination, <laughs> shall we say? Yes, yes yeah. he does. Uh, yeah. Man, I, I you know I was I was not around for a lot. I, I came in on kind of the tail end of a lot of the things that went on in, in Montgomery. Uh, between uh, Joe Reed, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen's dad, and uh, former Mayor Emory Fulmer. Uh, mm. uh, and if you don't know who Emory Fulmer is or you don't know what he was like, uh, just go watch any old civil rights movie 
uh, and the portrayal of the angry racist mayor in all those towns, that's Henry Fulmer. Um, and so, uh, and Joe Reed hated him and he hated Joe Reed. And let me tell you, mm. they went at each other cause uh, Joe Reed was on city council for a number of years and man, they had some battles and Joe was smarter than he was, was smarter than Henry. Uh, and it was, whew, it was, it was some good. Go, you should go back. Honestly, if you want to hear some, have some good chuckles and some good laughs, you should go back and read like news accounts from that, that time mm-hmm. and that era and read some of the comments, the quotes from Joe Reed, because they are, I mean, just soul crushing <laughs> quotes about how stupid he is and how, you know, what, how racist they are. And it's just, it's just so great to know that he not only said them, but said them in city council meetings right in front of everybody. It's right. just so fantastic. <laughs> oh, they're great, man. They really are. And so uh, it, it was just, oh, he, he and and I'll say this, Joe Reed changed that city uh, in a lot of ways mm. and uh, and for the, and for the better. Uh, you know, I've, I've had disagreements mm-hmm. with, with Joe about, uh, and really not disagreements, but of, of late. He ran the party a certain way that he felt was best, and I think that the, the a different way is, is better. And, and that the way that I think includes his son, so maybe we can find common ground there. Mm. Uh, but, mm. uh, you know, it's... Uh, you know, I, I, it's a uh, man. He did some. He did some good, good things uh, for for a long period of time there with the city of Montgomery, and uh, he's a. Yeah, whew, I'm telling you, you should read those. There's some good <laughs> stuff. Some good, I can imagine. Yeah. All right, uh, we're we're, we're uh, one one of the things we wanted to talk about real quick. Uh, yeah. Barry Moore's got COVID. Uh, I don't know if you if you hmm. saw that. Uh, our our uh, congressman from South Alabama has got uh, has tested positive for COVID. Uh, apparently, the "We Will Not Comply" uh, bill that he co-sponsored with Marjorie Taylor Greene did not prevent him from uh, contracting COVID. He and his wife, mm. Uh, mm. and so, and I assume he has some symptoms because he was talking about trying to recover at home and um, uh, you know and, and working as much as he could, even though he was sick. So I assume that he was he was not feeling very well uh, through this. Well. You know, we don't we don't wish that on anybody. No. Uh, but I will say, um, I I think it's really. I, I just find it ironic when people who have been so uh, adamantly, I would say, on the wrong side of the issue, mm-hmm. when they come down with the virus, and yep. you know, again, I don't wish harm on him. I I, I hope he has a speedy. He and his wife both have a speedy recovery. But I wonder what his position would be if he had to be hospitalized. I just wonder, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he would have like that talk show host up in Nashville, whose name I'm blanking on right now. Valentine is that his name? If, if, is it Phil Valentine? Phil Valentine? That's, I think that's right. Um, that guy apparently mm-hmm. had, and you know, again, sorry to say it, but apparently he had like a deathbed kind of. Mm-hmm. Epiphany on this thing, or yeah. pre-deathbed epiphany, you know, before he died. Yeah, just, the, oh my God, it's happening to me. Yeah, and this thing is yeah. real, and I wish I had yeah. not mocked it and taken it more seriously, and and, and trying to urge, you know, his followers to do kinda the same. Like, when it comes yeah. to Republicans, kind of like racial equality, uh, gay rights, uh, you know, every other issue that mm-hmm. until it touches them in some form or fashion, yeah. they can never mm-hmm. understand it. It just doesn't, you know, they never have the empathy for other people that is, it's just absent. And it always amazes me. It always amazes me. You would think that at some point, it's just like, you know, how many, how many Congress people or elected leaders in Southern states, red states have had uh, the, said just hateful, awful things about gay people or Mm -hmm. gay marriage. 
until they have a gay you know kid. Yeah, and I and I think I've shared with you. I think you're right. Uh, as by and large, I think you're right. Uh, there are some notable exceptions, and I think one notable exception uh, is uh, Alan, um, uh, the black guy, Alan Keys. Alan Keys. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he found out his daughter was gay, and it didn't change his opinion one iota. But, uh, but he's an exception. I think you're right. Most most Republicans and conservatives, you know, they. Uh, you know they have an epiphanal moment when it comes mm-hmm. close to home, but uh, but but until that time, yeah. until it comes close to home, they just seem to really not have any empathy or compassion or any sensitivity about the differences that we have as human beings. No, you're right, man. It's 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 sickening in a lot of ways. It really is. It's uh, uh it just it's so it's so counter to everything that you learn as a child. Yep. You know, about yep. about respecting and, and, you know, treating each other with kindness and stuff. And it's just like it's just completely lost on so many people. And I don't, I don't know what happened. I, you know, I don't know why why you're so hateful towards people. It just doesn't, you know, why? Yeah. It doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't, you know. It, it never has and it never will. And it just, I, I've never understood the, the joy that people get out of that and, uh, and, and feeling that way, you know, and making... It to think that you made somebody else feel terrible. That mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. what what joy is there in that? But uh, you know, I don't understand a lot of things that go on that side of the aisle. Speaking of which, our right wing nut of the week, um, which is going to come as a surprise to many people, I would say, uh, because I think uh, that our right wing nut this week, and I'm not sure David agrees, uh, that our right right wing nut this week should be uh, Governor K. Ivey. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and I'll tell you why. Uh, so uh, on, on Wednesday of this past week, she sent out a fundraising letter that has a nice little photo of herself leaning over the desk, a school desk, uh, in which there are a couple of little white girls and a black, <laughs> a black young man who has this look on his face, which I, I don't know. It, do, do you have the ability to check Twitter, uh, Dave? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I can. Could, could you check my Twitter account for just so you can understand fully what I'm what, what I'm describing here? Because I'll I put it on right there. now. Uh, uh, and, and the the tagline on this is about critical race theory, and they're not being critical race theory taught in Alabama schools. And under it, it says America is not a racist nation, and that and critical race theory will never be taught in Alabama schools, Alabama's public schools. So she's fundraising off of this, you know, divisive horseshit. Uh, critical race theory uh, that, you know, that they've tagged it as, you know, this thing that they, you know, they don't even understand what it is and they're still talking about it and fundraising off of it because they've convinced voters that it's this completely other thing uh, and that white people never have to feel uh, ashamed about anything. Um, and it's, you know, and, and listen, I, I don't feel ashamed about anything, but it is nice to understand the history of your state and what's gone on and the history of your country and to have a better understanding of the, the things that have shaped the way you the, the society that you're currently living in, you know, that that's, it seems natural to me to have, to have that understanding and to want to understand people better. Um, and to know that, 
it sure is odd that all these groups of people uh, end up in poverty and, uh, and, and that there is a high incarceration rate among the black community there. It seems odd that even <laughs> though we're all born and, and are raised at a young age with these aspirations and dreams that are remarkably similar. You know, mm-hmm. remarkably similar that we all want, we all strive for. Yet somehow that goes awry based on the color of some people's skin, almost as though other people are pushing that along in some way, <laughs> you know? Um, and it just, you know, to me, that seems like something you might want to take a look at. I don't know. But, uh, well, uh, you should, you should bring this up at the next, uh, convening of the white man's meeting so that, <laughs> yeah, so that you can try to set the white me <laughs> They don't invite me anymore. I don't know what happened. <laughs> So, you know, it, it's so funny to me. I, I What I thought about as I looked, I'm looking here at your Twitter account at this ad, uh, this copy of the ad that you posted. And what, what, what I thought about was, I wonder what Kay Ivey would say if a child, if one of these children, two white children and a black child, if one of these children asked her, Governor, was Germany a racist nation? Mm-hmm. I wonder what she would say. Because if the answer is, yes, Germany was a racist nation during the time of Hitler, I'm talking about, obviously. Sure. During the time of Hitler. Uh, if, if you can say that Germany was a racist nation, then how in the world can you not say that at the very least, America was a racist nation mm-hmm. without dispute? And then if you, can, if you can make that concession and then you start to compare, as you just suggested, what's the data? What, what are the indicators of black progress in America mm-hmm. today and the progress of the indigenous people in America today and other people of color? If you start to look at the data, you'd have to conclude that while America has grown and changed in a lot of positive ways, America still has a race problem. Sure it does. Very much a race problem. We may not be a nation that anymore through our uh, public policies, uh, you know, very overtly espouses racist points of view. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the the impact of our policies, mass incarceration, mm-hmm. housing, employment, other things, and you education look at education, funding, thank yes. you, education funding, the fact that we still have by and large segregated schools in our nation, mm-hmm. you can't tell me that America doesn't have a race problem. It may not be a racist nation in the truest sense of the word, but it is a nation that is still defined by and impacted by its racist past and mm-hmm. its unreconciled racial present. Right. There's no well, denying it. You know, the, uh, you know the, the project from the New York Times. Uh, the, uh, 1619. Yeah, the 1619 project. Uh, and, and, you know, critical race theory. They, they don't call America... Uh, a racist nation. Well, they, well, they. And by me, I understand that some people have, have, have said that. You know, some some scholars have said that America was was inherently a racist nation, because 
it was built upon racism, that there yes. were elements of racism that went into its formation to begin with, and that there have been uh, elements of racism all throughout its history that have helped, you know, that have helped make it what it is and have led to uh, uh, certain systems and, and the functioning of certain systems uh, to disenfranchise uh, certain groups of people and, uh, and, and to keep them uh, in, um, in check, I guess would be the best way. And let me, let me read you this. It's about Alabama's 1901 Constitution. On the premise of promoting honest elections, Alabama elites called for a constitutional convention in 1901. This is how Alabama's constitution was written. The delegates preserved core features of the 1875 constitution, including low taxes, small government, and centralized control. The most significant changes in the 1901 document were a literacy test, a poll tax, and other barriers that disenfranchised most blacks and many poor whites. The new constitution was ratified in a statewide vote that relied again on election fraud. White officials in the black belt reported that their majority black populations had overwhelmingly voted to disenfranchise themselves. More than 180,000 black Alabamians were eligible to vote in 1900. After ratification of the Constitution, only 2,980 were able to become registered voters. Mm -hmm. 180,000 down to less than 3,000 because of those things. And those, many of those things and those systems that were set up in the 1901 Constitution are still relevant today because they're still in place in some form or fashion or have not been completely eliminated, specifically the school funding structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that relies on you know uh, sales taxes and other things and keeps property taxes in a lot of areas low because we didn't want to overtax those poor those poor plantation owners and force <laughs> them to pay to, for those for those wealthy uppity black kids to go to school you know um, and so that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. and, and if you can't look at that objectively and say that's not right that's right. you know and that that helps explain to me why. All of these things are the way that they are uh, in in this in this area, and gives you a better understanding. What does that not does that not make you, you know, more compassionate and understanding as a person to understand how we got to this point? Is that not is that not some kind of a goal? I think in uh, I think in in the real in the real world uh, that that you and I live in, I'd say absolutely it does for many people, but. In the bizarro world of racial denial mm-hmm. that a lot of people live in, yeah, I, I just I don't, and, and listen, that's not the only reason why I was I talked about Kay Ivey being the right wing nut. It's that, and I don't, I don't honestly, I don't think she is. I mean, I, I think that uh, I, I think that Kay Ivey is a good person, uh, yeah. or she wants to be a good person. Um, I, think so. I think that um, I think that she wants to do good things, and I think that she cares about people. But I also think that. She has played politics with a yep. virus now yep. uh, for the last several months, and and that is going to cost lives in this state, and I think that's atrocious. And I think the way that she has used Confederate monuments and the way that she's now using critical race theory uh, demonstrates this attitude that she is also willing to sacrifice relationships with the black community uh, for votes. Uh, well, and that she's willing to pander to people who are not very good people to get them. I think I think what we're seeing here is just what has happened, quite honestly, with white politicians in particular, not just in the South, but even across the nation. 
they, they are still using the Lee Atwater political playbook. They still mm-hmm. believe that in the final analysis, when all else fails, you can galvanize the votes of a of a designated percentage of white people by playing to their fears about race. And so they do it. They do it, even though they know that Lee Atwater, with his dying breath, said, I did that and I was wrong. I shouldn't mm-hmm. have done it. You know, but they still do it. And they do it, Josh, because it works. And yep. that's, the, that's the harsh reality about well, living. Well, it's easy and it it's, works. It's easy, it's easy and it, well, you're right. It's easy and it works. But that's the, I think the key thing is that it works. I think if yes. it were easy and failed, they wouldn't do oh, it. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. But it's, it's a, yeah. you know, it's, it would be, it would also effective is, mm-hmm. is reaching out to people and talking to them and solving their issues and, and right. understanding how, how you can make government work for them. But that's but hard. That, but it's, that is it's hard. hard. It's yeah. hard. That's hard, and and they also know that there's a certain percentage of people that they would lose because they wouldn't be, that wouldn't be enough for that percentage. They know that there's a percentage of people who have this, who have a baked-in bigotry because of fear, ignorance, whatever it is that informs yep. that bigotry, and and they feel like. They feel like, as you said, it's the easy, that's an easy demographic to target. And they know that if they target them with this kind of stuff, it'll work. And so they do it. And, and so while I agree with you that I think as a general rule, K. Ivy, the person, is probably just as nice and, and, and congenial as, mm-hmm. as I have certainly found her to be when I have interacted with her through the years. The reality is Kay Ivey, the politician, is not that person. She's not. No. The Kay no. Ivey, the politician, is not, does not, doesn't care about people, at least not enough to do the right thing when it comes to COVID-19, when it comes to not stoking racial fears and playing to, uh, you know, the worst angels of people in that regard. I'm sorry. I mean, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, yeah, you're right, man. It but, is. You, you yeah. want to like her. You want to like her, and yeah. you want you want to do this. But at a point, you're you're you know you're responsible for your actions. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and you have to own up to what you've done and what you've said to people. And and these things are hurtful. Um, mm-hmm. And they you know they kind of you know, the COVID stuff certainly has destroyed some families. And um, and I it, we could have done more, and we haven't. And um, you know, I, I just think you look around. Uh, at what other governors have done, Governor of Louisiana, Governor, uh, you know, governors all around the uh, the country, and, and you know, I, I, there's just more you could have done. There's more you could have cared about. There's there's a there was a better way to handle a lot of this, and it just wasn't done. And I don't think that it was not done from a place of ignorance. I think it was done from a place of of political calculation, yep. and that to me makes it worse. And you yep. know, so. All right. Yeah, I think we've given these people enough. Um, I mean, I don't want to go too far because we can never top it. You know what I mean? So this is the so this is the best. Episode. Listen, the last episode was the best. This is better than that one. I don't know what to tell you. I would tell you, man, that segment with Stephen Reed killed it. That was a it great is. segment. It that really, really was. was a great segment. We should charge people for this. We should. There's enough of this free shit. Everybody looking for a handout. I'm tired of it. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, on that note. Let's slide out of here. Uh, right. We're gonna. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Until then, y'all be safe out there. Peace. <laughs>